wilderness. We have built our civilizations out of wilderness. As our home and the home of a great animal kingdom, nature should neither be destroyed nor exploited without respect for its intrinsic value. In this age, our forests, jungles, swamps, deltas, and grasslands are disappearing or being degraded through development, pollution, logging, and mining. They are under intense pressure from the insatiable consumption and waste of humanity. From our unceasing plans to develop every last remaining wild space, and from our exploding population, taking lands for habitation, manufacturing, and agricultural purposes. Trees and plants bring oxygen and a life-sustaining atmosphere to our planet. They convert energy from the sun and bring the gifts of life, food, and shelter to all living beings. We must see them in body and soul and respect their life-giving spirit. The more we study trees, the more we are able to recognize their abilities to create and sustain social networks. They share food among themselves and can communicate distress signals through airborne chemicals in addition to water and nutrients transferred via underground fungal networks. Forester and ecology author Peter Wolobin reminds us that trees are only as healthy as the forest that surrounds them. They remind us that, collectively, we are all stronger. We should consider trees our allies in our fight against rising global temperatures and climate change and help them to help us re-regulate this planet. Forests have the immense power of removing carbon from the air, and scientists have now begun working on creating artificial trees that can trap carbon and feed it to greenhouses to grow plants, emulating and amplifying these natural processes. Nature is indeed a teacher. We should regard trees with reverence, but our land and soil also have dynamic lives of their own that we should nurture and help preserve. Without wild habitats, there will be no remaining space for the other species that share this earth. Home to thousands of species coexisting and interconnectedly in tune with one another, wild places are spiritual sanctuaries for a diverse array of creatures, large and small each equally significant in the great balance of nature. As the naturalist Aldo Leopold explained in 1949, we can either regard the land as a productive commodity, or we can regard it as biota, which serves the larger function of balancing diversity. This latter perspective is key to developing an intense consciousness of land and a desire to contribute to the life that it nourishes Small-scale organic farmers the world over perhaps recognize best the intrinsic value of our soil. At the forefront of the permaculture movement, they may argue that monocultures are destructive because they kill the living biota in the soil. When handled with care, the biota shows not only great biodiversity but also great productivity because species such as earthworms, insects, and birds all contribute to cleaning and fertilizing the soil, as well as stopping invasive species from impoverishing it. All natural elements have their part to play in the context of their biota. As one species among all others, we must play our part 
We've come to think of wilderness as being distant from daily life, something to be artificially maintained and preserved without the trace of humans, and something we occasionally visit under specific conditions. But wilderness is all around us. Some wild and weedy patches in our cities can contain more biodiversity than a national park. This is important for two reasons. We must create conditions for nature to thrive with diversity. And we must recognize that cities are also home to species beyond our own. Nature can teach us to be resilient. Wild flora and fauna can indeed adapt to and thrive in human-built environments if we let them. We see this every time we let an urban area go decrepit. When we neglect buildings, vines move up and creatures move in. When a neighborhood in Detroit fell on hard times, open areas were converted to grazing areas for goats and community farming projects. When New York City retires old subway cars, they're stripped of hazardous materials and dumped into the ocean to create surface area-rich environments for coral reefs to bloom all over. The roofs of Berlin factories that have fallen into neglect are being converted into aquaponic fish and vegetable farms, requiring no soil and producing little waste. If we can accept that these urban spaces are also partly natural, we can become better caretakers of the wild spaces that surround our cities. We have to start thinking collectively about nurturing and protecting our remaining wild places, questioning both the belief that we are separate from nature and our consumption-intense culture that has brought us to this point. We have to step back and put energy and intention into taking care of nature. We have already taken enough. Wilderness gives us clean air, fertile lands, and ecosystems that we know our fellow species can flourish and evolve in. It is our responsibility to act before the Earth's remaining wilderness is destroyed by greed and waste. We must act before it is all lost. Water. The oceans, seas, lakes, and rivers of Earth are where life began. Teeming coral reefs, dense underwater forests, living waterways, they all host a biodiverse bounty that we, to this day, are still working to understand and must cease to abuse. These waters have body and soul. They ensure our very existence and are a precious home to abundant life, from infinitely small plankton to the whales of the deep. Zooplankton are microscopic organisms that float in the ocean's currents. As the lifeblood of all biodiversity in the ocean, Everything from juvenile fish to baleen whales feeds on these organisms, and virtually every marine species that doesn't feed directly on plankton depends on prey that does. These miniature ocean animals, alongside algae and bacteria, are also responsible for absorbing half of the carbon dioxide that gets released into Earth's atmosphere. And we might therefore consider them vital to the survival of land species, including us. Unfortunately, pollution and rising global temperatures, as well as dredging, trawling, and deep-sea mining, are threatening the deeper layers of our ocean. How is it that the threat to plankton is not making the headlines? We may understand our waters less than we do our land, but we must still take great care to treat them as we should our continental wildernesses. 
Today we look to the ocean as an inexhaustible source of food, without any concern for how our diets could be altered to help regulate and preserve it. Instead, we bring fish and seafood to the brink of extinction and cause invasive species to multiply. We use the ocean as a dumping ground for humanity's waste, our leftover trash, the byproducts of our manufacturing processes. Huge swaths of the ocean are now awash with plastic debris, polluting the cradle of all life, threatening our natural heritage, poisoning and choking our marine species and ecosystems. This is unconscionable, unsustainable, and uncaring. Oceans, lakes, rivers, and swamps have value in and of themselves. They exist with or without us, and whenever we interact with them, we should leave as light a trace as possible. Many indigenous communities have made this reverence for our waters a central part of their culture. Today, some of their ancestral environmental stewardship practices are being used as tools to overcome climate change, such as selective fishing techniques, or rahui in the South Pacific, or sustainable salmon harvesting techniques in British Columbia. Indigenous communities in North America and New Zealand are also fighting to have some rivers, which they recognize as their ancestors, be granted the same legal rights as human beings in order to ensure that we treat that body of water as the living entity it truly is. We have both an interest and a duty to preserve the wholeness and sanctity of rivers and all waters. Their gift to us in return will be a healthier humanity and a planet whose waters teem with life. The Atmosphere Protecting the Earth and its inhabitants from meteoroids and cosmic radiation is our atmosphere, a thin layer of gases precisely balanced to support and sustain life. This perfect recipe is in itself a precious gift, a vulnerable yet vital few kilometers that shield and cradle our biosphere indiscriminately with breathable air, clean water, and tempered climates. Human activity in the form of fossil fuel abuse, meat agriculture, industrial pollution, and deforestation have put our life support system at risk. As we know from previous mass extinctions on Earth, climate change caused by a change in the ratio of gases in our atmosphere, particularly related to a change in carbon dioxide or methane gas, is the fatal trigger for extreme changes in weather that can lead to harmful impacts in our ecosystems and the life that depends on them. From the worsening of air quality to the increasing frequency of heat waves and rising sea levels, not to mention the first climate refugee crisis, the scientific community agrees that we are already experiencing the negative effects of the damages we have caused to our atmosphere. Melting tundra and permafrost may release greenhouse gases long trapped inside the ice and bring about further unforeseen cascading effects. The challenges we face will be compounded if we don't act urgently to reduce our impact. Change in human behavior and activity that impacts our atmosphere cannot come quickly enough. We must globally experiment to find clean alternatives to fossil fuels, explore plant-based diets that reduce the impacts of meat agriculture on our environment, and support efforts both to curb pollution and to halt 
deforestation. While the challenges may seem beyond our personal abilities to make a meaningful difference, it is in fact our individual actions and voices that will determine whether we can stem a global behavioral reversal and reduce the carbon we emit into the atmosphere to our collective detriment. No challenge is beyond the realm of solution when we act together in union for the health and the future of all life on Earth. Other Species A significant change of mindset regarding our species is essential in an age of union. Animals may communicate and behave in their own ways, but that does not make them any less sentient or mean that they experience less of an emotional life than we do. They have complex family and social structures and deserve protected spaces in which to thrive. They have their own souls with their own purpose and connection to the greater unity of the natural world. Living species have intrinsic value beyond our understanding. Whether they dwell on land, sea, or sky, other animal species are not our property. They are not ours to use, and they are not ours to industrialize in factories like inanimate materials. They belong freely, in body, mind, and spirit, to the source which provides for them in the waters and wilderness. Eating with Intention All living creatures must have the opportunity to see the sun and the moon and to live their own lives to their greatest and fullest potential. Where we once farmed in agrarian societies, we now raise and process domestic farm animals in industrialized indoor factories. Our expectation of the commercial availability of meat and animal products means that a vast majority of the 8 billion humans on the planet demand millions of tons of animal protein weekly for their diets resulting in the industrialized farming and slaughter of billions of animals per year. Not only is this environmentally unsustainable because of the amount of land, water, and resources required to operate on this global scale, it is inhumane. Were we to witness the lives of our fellow species confined in these factories, which are in fact hidden from the eyes of society, we would realize that the age of unity demands that we relegate these practices to the past. The discovery of fire and the shift from a herbivorous and frugivorous diet to an omnivorous one aided our development as a species, helped evolve our brains, and thus made possible the intellectual progress we have seen in human civilization. The time has come when our scientific, and nutritional knowledge can help us to evolve beyond the need for animal protein in our diets. Food is an essential reality on our planet. Meat requires more than 10 times the plant, land, and water resources that a plant-based diet does. We now have the opportunity to be nutritionally fulfilled by plant-based diets, saving lands that could be preserved or restored to wilderness habitat and putting the cruel realities of factory farming behind us. It is easy to ignore human impact on aquatic life and marine ecosystems because we cannot easily see the damage being done by industrialized, commercial fishing and fish farms. 
Meanwhile, our demand for fish and other seafood in our diets has created an overfishing problem that is rapidly placing every species of sea life in peril. A trawling vessel is indiscriminate in what it catches. It scours the ocean for anything and everything, leaving entire destroyed ecosystems in its wake. Billions of tons of ocean and sea life are extracted annually from our waters unsustainably, with lasting impacts. In less than 50 years, the oceans will be incapable of regenerating what we take from them. Our fisheries will collapse and will have brought extinction to thousands of aquatic species forever. The great oceanic life forms some of which we are closely related to, will starve and dwindle in number, edging inextricably closer to extinction. It is time to take responsibility for these actions of dominance and connect what we eat with how it is sourced from the seas. The Last Hunters In the Bronze Age, the human species hunted and trapped animals for survival and sought to carve out a place for itself in a world dominated by the existential threats of wilderness and dominant wild creatures. A naked ape, we employed fire and primitive weaponry to protect ourselves and our families, and to provide ourselves with food. Today, we live in a very different context. Let us accept that hunting and trapping other species, except in the case of personal survival, and for the sustenance of traditional peoples, is no longer necessary. Simply put, it is wrong to hunt animals for sport or for trophies rather than out of need, with respect and reverence for the animal killed. Hunting and trapping are not sports. Other species have no defense against the superiority of human technology and weaponry. We do not need to feel or support the egocentric sensation that some derive from the killing of animals, the mastery and domination over other species, with a resultant feeling of control over their lives. Have we not proven that humanity dominates this planet to the point that we are now a threat to our own survival? Horns and Ivory One of the most magnificent examples of life on this planet is the elephant. This largest of land-dwelling animals, with its great intellect and wisdom, and a strong and beautiful sense of family, may go extinct in the next ten years in Africa and Asia, the animal's long-standing homes. It is a crime that humanity continues to trade in ivory, the tusk of the sacred elephant, to make trinkets and decorations. Entire families of elephants have been massacred by machine gun or poison to satisfy the market's demand for ivory. The rhinoceros stands on the brink of extinction, in part because of the traditional but false belief that its horn possesses medicinal qualities. The last remaining wild male northern white rhinoceros expired in early 2018, dooming that subspecies to extinction. Wild tigers number in the low thousands because they are hunted for their bones and skins. The lion, a great symbol of bravery and honor to so many cultures, is threatened with extinction due to loss of habitat, human-animal conflict, and trophy hunting. 
In West Africa, green turtles are hunted for use in medicine and traditional ceremonies. Even the giraffe, the peaceful and herbivorous gentle giant of the imperiled African savanna, is going quietly extinct due to trophy hunting. In an age of union, we must revere all forms of creation on this planet. We must defend life and not contribute to the extinction of any species. That includes causing the imbalance of a species within an ecosystem, the removal of critical members within a herd or pack, or the dismantling of a family unit of animals. Conservationists protect life. They do not stalk it and kill it in cowardice to feel a sense of domination. True conservationists work to protect wilderness for perpetuity, for future generations. Instead of a collection of trophies of the dead, a legacy of protected wild habitats and future generations and dynasties of wild species is the true legacy, a measure of reverence for life. The sadness and darkness of hunting and trapping cannot compare to either the exhilaration of protecting life, so precious and rewarding to witness in full bloom, or of sharing it with future generations through the sanctity of conserved lands. In order to have a place in an age of union, one should actively work against these impending extinctions and become a vocal and active leader in local and international conservations. When a species goes extinct and its natural habitat is permanently gone, we lose millions of years of evolution and the richness and beauty of that species and ecosystem. But the opposite can also be true. Reintroducing one species into an ecosystem can encourage other species to flourish. In Yellowstone National Park, the reintroduction of wolves helped regulate deer populations, which in turn led to growing populations of beavers, birds, fish, and reptiles, and to the strengthening of rivers. This is the power we have, and this is the kind of responsible dominion we should be exploring and rewarding. The End of Experimentation Modern science and medicine have allowed us to live longer, healthier lives. Medicine has saved countless human lives and has helped us preserve the well-being of other species as well. Technology has advanced to the point where we should no longer need to experiment on other species to advance medical science. In the most egregious examples of our selfishness, we see millions of animals live in confinement, pain, and suffering to test consumer brands, such as beauty and food products. Consumers have clear options for organic and non-animal tested products. Lawmakers have the option to end these practices for good. We must support and evangelize sustainable, non-animal tested options. This cruel experimentation on our fellow species is something that we should understand happens in our consumer-driven world, and we must extend our scope of empathy and stand against it. One of the cruelest practices in experimentation occurs on our closest cousins, the primates. Already endangered in the wild, 
With their habitats under pressure from development and exploitation, we continue to exploit whole families of monkeys and great apes for experimentation in many parts of the world. And while a few countries such as New Zealand, the UK, and Germany have implemented a great ape research ban, there is no such formalized ban in the United States, even as the country is currently retiring all lab chimps to sanctuaries. Nevertheless, a lifetime in a lab or in captivity for our sentient sisters and brothers is the product of our own moral failure, and this practice does not belong in an age of unity. Wherever we have made the wrong ethical choices in our laboratories and production processes, we have a duty to rectify the situation and to rehabilitate the animals. This is a necessary step in making animal experimentation a practice that is forever relegated to the past. Honor and Care Our fellow species on this planet do not exist for our entertainment in zoos or shows. They are here by the grace and will of the source of all life, which provides for them in the wilderness and waters that are their habitats. It is our duty to protect these environments so that they can live freely in their family units and experience life as it was given to them. Living beings do not belong in cages, and when we see this in any form, we should react from our soul with revulsion, knowing that in no way is it moral for the dominant species to engage in practices that are inimical to species that have no way to protect themselves from human exploitation. The zoo is an obsolete institution. With the availability of global travel and ecotourism, high-speed internet, modern media, and high-performance cameras, we now have many alternative ways to experience these creatures in the wild and to educate new generations about the Earth's species interactively. We must reject environments such as zoos and marine life water parks as relics of the past and return these animals to their appropriate habitats or sanctuaries. Technologies that allow us to observe wildlife in respectful ways and that minimize habitat disturbance, have made our viewing of animals both more entertaining and more helpful for conservation. Some great examples of this are forest bear cams and wildlife bridge cameras. We need to transform our personal curiosity for land and ocean species into an opportunity to document, understand, and preserve wildlife. A New Stewardship a new relationship between humanity and nature must be formed. A new respect and reverence for our wilderness, waters, land, and atmosphere must be achieved. We must pay attention to the nature around us, be aware of our place within it, and be conscious of the wilderness that flourishes in the remote places of our planet, far from where we ourselves dwell. True respect and empathy will emanate out of a genuine curiosity for the lives of other species and a better understanding of our impact on nature. For millennia, indigenous peoples have considered all people, beings, and ecosystems on this earth to be fueled with the energy of creation and closely linked to one another. We must learn from their teachings, 
Soon, we will realize that the care we give both to other species and our environment is not unlike the care we give to our own families and loved ones. When we honor our intrinsic connection to nature and pay close attention to it, each plant, each animal, each body of water becomes a living teacher. Nature is our mother. It can also be our mentor. It illustrates the richness of union and diversity. It gives us meaning and purpose on this earth in the midst of dark times. Nature has always held solutions to the biggest challenges we face. Why then have we not always turned to it to ask our greatest questions? If leadership, culture, and spirituality are the catalysts of an age of union, nature is its foundation. From cultivating the value of connecting with nature to challenging our cultural preferences and behaviors, and thus ending cruelty, to speaking out about nature and the legal rights of living species and their habitats, we must embrace our responsibility as guardians of nature. Every daily act can be an act of conservation. Even if you never have the chance to see or touch the ocean, the ocean touches you with every breath you take, every drop of water you drink, every bite you consume. Everyone, everywhere, is inextricably connected to and utterly dependent upon the existence of the sea. Sylvia Earle The summit of the mountain, the thunder of the sky, the rhythm of the sea speaks to me. Chief Dan George, hereditary chief of the Tzlul Watuth Nation and honorary chief of the Squamish Nation and the Sekwep Emic people. Climate isn't really about some abstract, distant climate far away from us. It's about this air that surrounds us, the air that moves right now in your nostrils. The air is our Earth's skin. Per Espen Stoknes. All is interconnected and dies or thrives as one. The least I can do is speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. Jane Goodall